Wonderful. Thanks, Abby. Excellent. So, uh, great to hear the chatter as well and a uh, chance to have coffee and tea together after the service. I hope you can stay around for that and say hi to somebody. That will be wonderful. So, it's me speaking this morning. I know I've done the uh, notices and the other things as well, but it's me speaking this morning. And it's a subject that I've not really heard people speak about in the past. And uh, it's a, quite an interesting subject. If you saw any news, you might get a, got a hint as to what I'm looking at. But the entitle is, What's in a Name? Now, different cultures' names kind of more important than others. In some cultures that people are called a name because it really describes who they are. Um, me, my name is Philip, and my parents call me Philip, and it means lover of horses. I have been on a horse a couple of times. I couldn't eat a whole one, but I'm not a... <laughs> but uh, they, and, and actually, a um, few years ago, the name Philip was quite popular, actually, or common, because it's kind of... F- this five in our two families, five Philips, I know. There we go. Now, do you know what the most common name is that is in... Within song, song lyrics. Not, not worship songs, I'm not talking about worship songs. The most common name within songs that people have written. Oh, it, not a worship song, not worship songs, but uh, I'm sure that that could be why it's not very really, it's actually, it's, it, it's actually John. John. Now, I know you're going to be thinking for the rest of the service, you're not going to listen to me, all the songs that you, with the name John in. So, there we go. Now, I was reading this week some names that you can't call your baby. Okay, you can't call your baby, officially, it's illegal to call your baby Adolf Hitler. Or Osama Bin Laden. In... In Australia, you're not allowed to call your baby, baby LOL, or Batman, or Ranga, whatever that means. You can't call your baby Ikea, and in Saudi, you can't call your baby Linda. Around the world, around the world, this is common, you can't call your child Nutella, Akuma, Devil, Robocop, Prince William, Mini Cooper, Fish and Chips, Cyanide, 007, and they just passed a law in Argentina that you can't call your baby Messi. For obvious reasons. Because you imagine, can't you, in 10 years' time, a teacher calling out Messi and everybody putting their hand up because <laughs> that's what he would have been like. There we go. Now, you might be thinking that today I'm going to be talking about the name that is above other names, that is the Lord Jesus, I'm actually going to be talking about the name that is below other names, and that is Judas. Because that's the name that people avoid. There's some cultures you are not allowed to call your child Judas. Now, in the New Testament, Judas comes from the name Jude, which means praise. So Jude means Praise and Judas literally did mean praise, but people would not equate 
it with that now. So there's six. So it was common in the New Testament. Six people were called Judas, but the one that is familiar to us is Judas Iscariot, which simply means man of Kerioth in Palestine. And he wasn't the only disciple to be called Judas. I don't know if you knew that. But there was another disciple called Judas, Judas, son of James, also known as Thaddeus. So there were two disciples called Judas, which is quite interesting because the second disciple, Judas, son of James, nobody remembers him as a disciple of Jesus because of Judas Iscariot. So a few years ago, the Catholic Church made him the patron saint of lost causes because nobody could remember him. So that's what they did. Now, the only time you hear the name Judas sometimes is when you go to a football match and somebody from a, you know, a rival team joins the team that you don't like and people sing out Judas, Judas, crowds do that when you go to a football match. That's the only time you tend to hear it. And also, when you see the list of the disciples in the New Testament, Judas is nearly, he's always last on the list. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 16... It says Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, and it says a footnote, who became a traitor. So he's recorded last. Mark 3.16, there's James, Thaddeus, son of James, son, and, and, and Judas Iscariot, comma, who betrayed him. So Judas was always last. And even in Acts, when Judas Iscariot wasn't around, you with that, he wasn't around, even then when they had the list of disciples, uh, Judas, son of James, was also last on the list. So there's something about the name Judas. So Judas colludes with the high priests and leads them in the dead of night to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they couldn't try and arrest Jesus in public because they would have been a riot. Jesus was so popular. He had just raised uh, Lazarus from the dead, or he was around that time, and he was so popular. And, and it was kind of the, it, the thought was, if this continues, the whole world is going to go after Jesus. And there's a great jealousy of the religious leaders that they wanted to kill him, but they knew that they just couldn't do this in, you know, or arrest him in public. Then it says, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, then one of the twelve the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. And he says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, that is Jesus, over to you? So they counted out 30 pieces of silver, and then from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over to them. So they couldn't arrest Jesus in public. They could only arrest Jesus in private. And Judas knew... Jesus' secret place, the Mount of Olives. And he goes on in verse 48 in chapter 26 of Matthew. He says, now the betrayer had arranged a signal where he said, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. So in the Cambridge Dictionary, it's quite interesting, the word betrayal, the definition says a person who is not loyal and helps the friends' enemies. That is the definition. And it goes back to New Testament times. So let me say one or two things about betrayal. There's something very unsettling about 
betrayal. And it's, it, was, it says in John's Gospel, it was during the washing of the disciples' feet that Jesus drops this bombshell that somebody is going to betray him. So it was while he was washing their feet. And in John's Gospel, the version of this, in 13 verse 21, it says, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified to the disciples, the group, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, Jesus says this twice during this short period, this short conversation that they had. Now, it's been said when the Lord Jesus says something once, it's worth taking notice of. He says it twice, there's something going on. And it's twice Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. There is something troubling, there's something troubling about betrayal. Now, Jesus had eaten with sinners. He would eat with anybody. Peter would deny him dramatically, and he still was fond of Peter. Thomas doubted, as we know. But as somebody once says, the worst pain in the world goes beyond the physical, even further beyond any other emotional pain one can feel. It is the betrayal of a friend or loved one. There's something very painful about betrayal. A number of years ago when I was in a a previous church, and I remember specifically having uh, a quiet time. Now, I would have a quiet time most days and read a little bit of my Bible or something devotional and, and pray. And I remember this particular morning, not because I felt that God speak to me particularly. It's not as if it was amazing prayer time, but I remember that it was a Monday morning. And I can't remember quite what time it is. It's reasonably early. And as I was having my quiet time, I can't remember even when I was, whether I was reading or I was praying, but something, something, something just happened within my spirit. I, I can't describe it. I just, you know, it was just... I, I, I just thought, what's happened? I just knew something had happened. Not, not where I was, but I just knew that something in the church had happened. And I thought, what's that? I mean, it was an unusual experience. That's why I can remember it. And I remember it was a Monday. And about 12.30 on that same day, somebody phoned me and just mentioned what had happened. And I won't go into detail, but when he described it, I thought, you had just been totally betrayed by somebody. And it affected a number of people within our fellowship. And, and I thought, Lord, why? You know, after all the things, you know, what in quiet times you could speak to me about, and it was it is so memorable. And here it says that Jesus was so troubled in spirit because of this betrayal. So betrayal's not good, not just because somebody betrayed Jesus, but betrayal is not good at all. And I wondered, you know, I think betrayed is, is the opposite of love, it's the opposite of truth, it's the opposite of loyalty, it's the opposite of protecting people. And those things are a big part of who God is, isn't it? 
So to go to the opposite of those things altogether is something that's quite damaging. And it's quite ironic, isn't it, that at the time when Jesus drops this bombshell that somebody's going to betray him, he was washing their feet. And at the start of their passage in Luke chapter 13, it says, having loved his own, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So Jesus was showing them the full extent of his love, and then he drops the bombshell that somebody is going to betray him. Isn't it ironic that then Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss? Also very interesting. As somebody said, the saddest thing about betrayal, it never comes from your enemies. Betrayal doesn't come from our enemies. And for Judas, it was for 30 pieces of silver, which, which wasn't a vast amount of money, I don't think. Let me give you a bit of context of how much 30 pieces of silver would be. In Exodus, it says, um, 31 verse 32, there's a verse about bulls. I'm sure you know all the verses about bulls in the Old Testament. You can quote them off by heart. But in Exodus 31 verse 2, it says, If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. So in that culture, it wasn't a massive amount of money, but that's what Judas wanted to do. Joyce Huggett, back in the 70s, I don't know if you know her as an author, she just wrote a book that uh, Christians back then um, read, or they knew what the book was about, because it just was, the title was just Money, Sex and Power. That was the title of the book, Money, Sex and Power, because they're usually the catalysts for hurting other people or betraying other people. For Judas, it was money. And money does strange things to people. Well, people are strange with money. I assume a lot of couples here occasionally have a conversation about money. Why smiles there? There we go. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, money is not evil. It's the root to all kinds of evil, depending on how we uh, approach it. Now, we know that Judas had a bad attitude to money, because when Mary Madeline took this jar of perfume, pure nard it was, and uh, poured it on Jesus' feet as an offering of worship, Judas was upset, wasn't he? And what did he say? Kind of, that could have been sold and money given to the poor. He had no interest in the poor. In fact, he goes on to say, as it looks back, it says in John 12 verse 5, says, he, said, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. So that's what the Bible recorded, that he was actually a thief. Now Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart, and I think Jesus, 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 the Lord Jesus, Gives him enough rope to hang himself, doesn't he? Because that's exactly what happened. And 1 Timothy 6, he goes, Timothy goes on to say, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Make sure that money is not the catalyst 
for how we treat people and each other badly. It's good to have our finances in order. It's good to give generously, good to give to God's work. It's good to have them in order. Money does strange things to people. Next is something quite secretive about betrayal. Because it says that Judas goes out, what, at the dead of night? He goes out while it is dark. Judas goes out to betray Jesus. Now, interestingly, that the disciples, it says, thought that Judas was going out to buy some provisions because he was the cash holder. But he wasn't. And the disciples didn't quite know that it was Judas that was going to betray Jesus. And because Jesus said, Acts 13, verse 21 says, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at each other at a loss to know which of them he meant. So even the disciples had no idea that it was Judas that was going to betray Jesus. And even after Jesus said, it's one of you who takes this bit of bread, they didn't catch on. Now, I'm sure after Judas betrayed Jesus, they all said, yeah, I knew all along. I knew it was going to be Judas. But they didn't. The Bible tells us that they didn't know it was because it was incredibly secretive. He hid it very well, and it led to his own destruction. Now, I mentioned a few times that I've been to Norway quite often, and to do youth work and to take teams over. This was many, two or three decades ago. Love Norway, lovely country, very expensive, but a lovely country. I remember going over once, and it was a long time ago, and I'll tell you why you know it's a long time ago, because every, everybody dressed smartly to go on an airplane. People don't do that now. They go in the most casual clothes possible, most comfortable clothes possible. But everybody was dressed up. And I was going to go for two weeks. And when I got there, the reason we went, simply, was to do some youth worker training and um, training in evangelism um, for people who like to share their faith on the street, which was fine. And back then in the 1980s, it was a good time as far as Christians going out and praying for people on the streets. There was a lot of confidence. And they just wanted one or two people to go out and share that with this team of about 30 Christians over in Norway, a place called Tonsberg. Also, though, while we were over there, we were going to go into schools. We were going to do a couple of radio things, Christian radio. It wasn't a big thing. Um, one or two youth events. And anyway, there was, a lot, there was a lot of things planned. When we got there, though, we'd, we, recognized, we realized that it, it, it had not been arranged. So we turned up. And the only things arranged were three sessions for two hours each on evangelism, which was fine, but we were there for two weeks. And... Back then, trying to cut a long story short, it's not as if you just fly back on EasyJet because the flights were so expensive back there, if you remember. So so we were there for two weeks, and after a day, I thought, what are we going to do for two weeks? Felt it was right to go, but what are we going to do for two weeks? So I decided, this sounds spiritual, but I decided for 24 hours I'm going to pray and fast because I didn't want here for two weeks. Lord, what, what, why are we here? And um, as I was praying during that 24 hours of praying and fasting, I started to read 
Isaiah chapter 28. I wasn't familiar to Isaiah chapter 28. I don't know why I was reading Isaiah chapter 8, but I was reading it. This verse jumps, it was as if it was the only verse in the Bible at that point. You know what it's like when it's just something just, say, jumps out. You know what I mean when I say that, jumps out. And this was the verse. For we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. Let me read that again. For we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. And as I was praying, I just had this great big sense that for these people that we're going to be sharing with about mission, that this verse would speak to them, that some things were being hidden. So the next night when we were supposed to share with them, my friend Melvin shared with them about mission, then it was my turn, and I thought, how am I going to make this initially last for 45 minutes anyway. But how can I come all this way on an airplane and say, this is what I feel God is saying, for we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. But I shared it anyway. Now I said that we were around for two weeks and we've not got a lot to do. If any of you want to come and chat with us over this period, then feel free to do it. At least two-thirds of the people got in touch with us to get alongside us and to pray for them because there was something secret that was really eating them up. Something under the surface just really tearing them apart. And I won't go into detail of what some of them were, but it was clear that they had a passion for mission, but they also, there's a sense that they were doing more and more mission to cover up what they were feeling on the inside. And it was really hurting them. And things in secret can do that. Now, it's not as if we tell everybody everything, but I think the devil wants us to have things in secret because he can manipulate and really play on those things. The good news is, isn't it, that God is not out to get us, he's out to save us. So the reason that I think he laid that on my heart to share with them was not to tell them off, but to bring a freedom to them. Because they they loved the Lord, they loved him. They did want to serve him. And God wanted to set them free. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came to save the world through him. And he wanted them to have this opportunity. It's interesting that, you know, Judas had the opportunity to sort this out many times. It wasn't a spontaneous thing. But Jesus let him choose. And he says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. It was Judas's choice. Now, sometimes do, people do pray certain things, and sometimes, you know, I've come across it before, and that if people were entering into something that they shouldn't enter into, maybe a relationship that they shouldn't enter into, 
Sometimes the prayer goes like this. Lord, if it's not of you, then take the desire away. But God doesn't always take our desires away. We still have to make the right choices when we know that something is not quite right. And in James 1 verse 13, it says this. No one should say, if you have a desire that's wrong, that God is tempting me. You can't say God is tempting me because God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt anyone. But he says that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So God doesn't tempt us. And God doesn't give us wrong desires. And our desires can get mixed. But just because something is a desire doesn't mean it is right. And it says, doesn't it, the devil looks around and plans on, he just works on our insecurities and our desires and our ambitions. And as I've said, a quote from a friend of mine from Bristol, a church leader, Philip Gennardi, who says, the devil takes us for a ride, but God takes us on a journey. The devil will always look for us to have quick fixes, to jump from one thing to the next, to play on those desires, but God has an overall plan for us, and sometimes those desires have to be put to one side to fulfill and to step into God's plans for our, our lives. James 4 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So if there's a desire that is wrong, he says, you know, you've got to resist. we have to resist the devil, but we also need to draw near to God. It is so important. So here's a question. Do we expect to see Judas in heaven? Just going to have a drink of water while you decide that. <laughs> Will we expect to see Judas in heaven? Did Judas commit the unforgivable sin? What Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 23, concerning this, says the Son of Man will go just as he is, but woe to that man who betrays, betrays the Son of Man it would be better for him if he had not been born. Not my words. Words of Scripture. It's interesting to think that he would be destined for heaven if Jesus says it would be better if he had not been born. Because if he was going to heaven, it would have been good that he was born. But the point is this. It is clear that he had not committed himself to following Jesus. That is the issue here. He had not committed, and that was the reason. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, Judas, if you read in Scripture, only ever called Jesus rabbi. He never called him Lord. Only ever called him rabbi. And the simple fact that it's not my decision, but there's no indication that Judas did what every person in the world or took the opportunity that every person in the world has is to respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no indication that he ever did this. How will we escape, the Bible says, if we neglect so great a salvation? What a great invitation. There was no indication that he had taken it. So for three years... 
He'd seen miracles. He'd heard Jesus teaching. Jesus washed his feet. There were many holy moments, but there was no indication that Judas ever opened himself up to the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of us, all of us, let me say this, will think that we have let the Lord down badly. All of us. I'm sure you'd have thought that. I have to admit, when I was a younger Christian, I used to think it nearly every week. I, you know, simple things would happen. I thought, oh, I'm really disappointed that I did that or didn't respond in that way or shouldn't have responded that way. And there's times when I thought, oh, that's it. I just, I'm just not a good enough Christian. It didn't help that my family, who most of them weren't Christians, actually at the point none of them were Christians, would see me do something occasionally where I'd slip up and say, call yourself a Christian. I don't know if you've ever had that. Do you know, it's not a nice feeling actually, is it, when people do it, even though it's unfair. It's not a nice feeling when it happens. And I'm sure that most of us at times have felt, Lord, that, that was just, just let you down too much. Now, what happened with Judas is very different to ourselves because of this. We are a work in progress. We are a work in progress. We'll still get things wrong, but we are a work in progress. Peter, the disciple, denies Jesus in the most spectacular way. We've looked at it several times. Peter was still a work in progress. Peter's direction of travel was to follow the Lord. He loved the Lord. And we here today, I'm sure for the vast majority of us, our direction of travel is, Lord, we want to follow you. And God can really cope with that. He knows that we will get things wrong. And this verse I find incredibly encouraging from Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. And uh, this, I hope this blesses one or two here this morning. It says this, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. We will stumble. But he says, if your direction of travel is to follow me, you will not fall. My hand is bigger than your stumble. I mean, how many times those of you who had young children or grandchildren have walked along with a toddler... And they're about to fall over. And if you had a chance of grabbing their hand, you would have, wouldn't you? You don't just let them fall. You just don't do that. And said here that even though we might stumble, he will uphold us. That's why I think that, and said many times, that's why I think baptism is really helpful. Because you look back and say, no, I'm clean before God. I am totally clean before God. It's interesting, isn't it, when Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet, what does Peter say? He says, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And then Peter says something a little bit dumb. Now, you know, 
Peter gets a lot of hard press. I mean, if you recorded all the things that I said, and they're put in Scripture, then it, it, it wouldn't look good. I, I, you're looking at me and thinking, no, no, we know that. We knew that would be the case. That wouldn't be surprising. But that's the same for all of us. But Peter then says, doesn't he, well, wash my whole body. But Jesus says, I don't need to do that. What did he say? You are already clean. You are already clean. And that's why I think that baptism really helps. Because you look back and say, no. You know, even, even when the devil accuses us, we can say, no, I'm already clean. I'm already clean. I'm a work in progress. I stumble. But I am already clean. Baptism helps with that. And finally, finally, judgment belongs to God. Judgment belongs to God. Psalm 103 verse 6 says this, the Lord works righteousness for all the oppressed. God knows, knows when we've been badly treated. God knows. And it doesn't bypass him. And I'm sure even this morning, over the years, I'm sure there's many of us here that maybe felt that we have been betrayed. And betrayal, but because it involves people that are close to us sometimes, can come as a bit of a shock. And it came as a shock to the disciples when Judas did what he did. And it's often those that are closest to us. But no doubt, many of us have also contributed to other people feeling a little bit betrayed to a lesser or greater degree. Sometimes we are not aware of quite of what we are doing. Sometimes we can be clumsy. We can be very self-seeking. We can do things at the expense of other people. And in Psalm 103 as well, verse 10, doesn't it, that, that talks about the Lord saying he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our sins. So God is, he is gracious to us, isn't he? He's been very gracious to us. And even Jesus, that, dare I say, he, he leaves judgment up to God, his heavenly Father, because when he was going to the cross, what did he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. So even Jesus puts judgment into the hands of his heavenly Father. Now, betrayal is awful. It is devastating. You can see how it affects people, how people at times even feel that life is over. And Jesus himself was betrayed in the most devastating of ways and understands what it is like. In human terms, Jesus' betrayal and what Judas did Judas did, led to the crucifixion. Obviously, other people were involved. But God was in control. God was in control. And even as Jesus hung on the cross, there's many things that he said. There were seven last things that Jesus said on the cross. But one of the things he said was this into your hands, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your life, do I commit my life. 
Jesus could not raise himself from the dead. The Lord Jesus could not raise himself from the dead. But his father could. His father could. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in our mortal bodies. The same power that raises Jesus from the dead lifts us up and lifts us out. And I don't mean that in any simplistic way. But resurrection is a part of who we are. Every betrayal begins with trust. can only be betrayed if we trust somebody. It's the only way that we can be betrayed. Every resurrection comes from trusting God. He can raise us out of anything. So in a moment before we uh, pray and sing and conclude, I'm just going to put on a short video clip. One or two of you might have seen it before, but I think it will minister to you. It's more about Peter than about Judas. But like I say, at times we can think that we've gone too far. But I hope this short video will minister to you in some way. Thanks, Joel. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, 
and she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, the angel said what? Uh, Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. He said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No. What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. I'm going to invite the band up. They get to lead us in a song in a moment. And um, and we'll pray. We've been sitting for a while. Won't we, uh, if you're able to, won't we stand to our feet as we pray this morning? And just going to invite everybody to, you don't have to close your eyes to pray, but uh, maybe you want to do that and just give the chance, say, Lord, are you, is there anything here for me to respond to or to receive from you? You know, we do go through life and there's many interactions with people. And there's many blessings that come our way through people. And there's times when something really do jolt us because we're imperfect people and different motivations. And maybe this morning you can consciously think back of something that still affects you powerfully. And maybe this morning that you just sense that you can bring a new level of forgiveness that uh, would bring a new level of freedom to you. And somebody said that not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and hoping it would harm the other person. But forgiveness can bring a great release and sometimes God gives us different levels of strength as we go on to forgive. For some, when we've been hurt, the, d- the danger is that we blame ourselves. And I just had this sense this morning that for one or two people, even though you were betrayed, that you're still blaming yourself. And just that sense that you should allow the Lord to lift that off you, that you don't keep blaming yourself that was something that was not your fault. And God wants to release you from that. Nor should we at times allow betrayal on how people treat us as an excuse that we constantly hide behind. And for some, within it all, we need to say, God, I just trust you that you would lift me up. 
Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And Lord, we pray this morning. We thank you for each other. Might not know each other very well. Lord, you know our lives. You know our paths. You know when we stumble. You know when we've been hurt. We pray, Lord, for this promise that that you would make our path straight, Lord. For those who need to give, forgive, would have that strength to forgive. For those who need to stop blaming themselves, Lord, for that release, for that release not to blame themselves. Father, we thank you that you make all things new. We pray, Lord, as we've looked at these things today, that by your Spirit, we would live in the freedom that you've got for us. And we commit ourselves to you, Lord, today. We commit each other to you today for the work of your Spirit within our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to sing what a beautiful name. Just really felt that it reflects what uh, Phil was speaking.